Hello and warm greetings. Welcome to Global Impact, the podcast that connects the dots so you don't have to. Now, I know we've been talking a lot about uh, the coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic, and probably many of us are overwhelmed by the statistics and by the modeling and by the projections. But I thought um, what I'd do before we get to our very, very special guest is to just get some uh, updated figures out of the way so we're on the same page, and then we hop to a very special place across the ocean. So at the moment, as of today, we've passed that very grim milestone of 2 million uh, COVID-19 cases. At the moment, more than 2.1 million cases worldwide and more than 140,000 deaths. 140,000 people have lost their lives to COVID-19. Of course, uh, the most uh, impacted countries in Europe uh, have been Italy and Spain, with the United Kingdom not so far behind. But in Italy, uh, over 162,000 cases and more than 21,000 deaths. In Spain, even more cases, um, uh, over 172,000 and more than 18,000 deaths. And of course, uh, the United States is the uh, number one epicenter uh, at the moment, hard to believe in such a short time. But uh, they've now recorded over 578,000 cases and more than 23,000 deaths. Of course, uh, New York being the epicenter, uh, putting up a very, very tough fight with um, lockdowns and quarantines. And um, yeah, people, millions and millions of people around the globe are now under um a lockdown or some sort of uh, quarantine. And I looked up the word quarantine, and it actually comes from the word uh, quarantena uh, the Vene- from the Venetian language, and it means 40 days. Uh, it was used in the 14th and 15th century and designated the period that all ships were required to be isolated before passengers and crew could go ashore during the deadly Black Death uh, plague epidemic. So speaking of Italy, I thought we'd take the show there this uh, week. Last week we were in Asia, but through the magic of technology, we hop over to Rome. And there we have caught up with my very dear friend uh, from the public broadcaster at ITV, Liana Misterata. She's uh, one of their foreign correspondents and a very well-known anchor. Now we will talk about how uh, we first met in 2014 in Kiev. But uh, aside from covering extensively events in Eastern Europe, uh, Liana has been to many, many hotspots around the world, front lines in the Middle East, as well as reporting, for example, the Eurozone upheaval in um, Greece and Spain, covered many elections worldwide, including presidential ones in the United States, as well as the uh, elections in Europe. And she's recovered from many, many hot spots in, uh, in Latin America, as well as Japan, China, Syria, New York, London, Beirut, Cairo, and Jerusalem. So after a very, very short break, we will pass the microphone over to Liana. So, uh, Global Impact, here we are, and I'm with the wonderful Liana Mistretta from Rai uh, TV. Uh, She's in Rome right now. Liana, welcome. Yes, good evening. Hello, Michael. (laughs) It was so glad to have you. Liana, um, we have so much to talk about, but I thought it would be interesting for the 
podcast listeners to know how we first met. And I believe it was in 2014 in Kiev, yes? Yes, it's been a long, it seems really long time. It was a 2014 in Kiev. I was uh, in Ukraine to cover the war. So I spent a while in uh, Kiev just to follow the um, political situation and the developments of the war. And that's when we met because uh, you were very precious to us uh, to give all the information on the ground. And then we moved actually with my cameraman, Andrea, we moved to the Donbass region. Mm-hmm. in eastern Ukraine, and we were covering the war just on the front line. This was an interesting time because it was when uh, the Minsk agreement was signed, so actually there was a truce, and for a while it was respected. But before the truce, we spent a lot of time based in Mariupol, and moving every day to the front line. We even went to Donetsk and Luhansk because those were the areas where the bombings were stronger and when the war was really, really strong and terrible. You know, in Italy, there was a great interest in that war. It seems strange Ukraine is not that close to Italy, but we have a special relationship. Many Italians have business there, many Ukrainians live in Italy. So there was a great attention because we felt like a war just very close to us. So we covered that war with Andrea. We spent a long time, almost two months there. It was a summertime. When the truce was signed, the first Minsk agreement, then the situation was calmer and then we came back to Kiev and we spent uh, a couple of weeks there and we saw again, we met again with mm-hmm. you, Michael, if you remember, yes. and uh, just to see how things were settling down. And it was interesting to meet also the people escaping from war and going to Kiev. They were living in very difficult situation. What really um, I remember from that war was the contact of the people I met in that situation. Mm-hmm. Both the people in Donbass, you know, in war, people just lose their orientation, they lose their mind. It's a very, very difficult time. But although they were very helpful to us, so it's been under a human point of view, it's been very interesting. Dangerous, risky, like working in all uh, work zones but under human point of view it has been so interesting and i still have contacts with people there in ukraine mm-hmm. that i still um, talk to in these days and then we tried to cover also the situation in kiev with all those people escaping from the war and going to kiev and settling there the city i remember the feeling when i got to kiev after having been in the donbass it sent like a paradise i still remember the emotion when and I could go to a restaurant to see some shops, normal life, but still the situation was very, very difficult, you know, in Kiev as well. Then I went back to Italy, but I had the chance of going back again in autumn Ukraine because of the elections. And uh, it is still a country which is always in my heart, honestly. Uh, yes, and it's hard to believe it's more than five years, yeah. more than 13,000 dead, uh, millions displaced. Yeah. It's one of the longest lasting conflicts uh, on the planet. Yeah, it is. And actually, the situation is not good at all at the moment. There is, a, I'm sorry, there is less attention from the media, but still, it is a, a very um, a situation that we have to cover and to keep an, an eye on it. Yeah. You know, um, it's uh, speaking of conflicts, uh, I remember when I was working for UNICEF, uh, 
I was also going, spending a lot of time in the West Bank and Gaza, and that was an opportunity for me to come to Italy to actually speak about uh, the conflict there. And I remember Italians were, were also taking a very big interest in the uh, Palestinian conflict as well in the situation there. Yeah, we, yeah, we do. This is also a situation that we are constantly uh, observing and uh, also covering for the media. You know, for RAI, the, I work for RAI, which is the Italian public broadcast. We have an office in Jerusalem. So from there, we often cover, of course, all that area. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a great interest also for Italians. And I have been there myself. So, you know, also with UNICEF as well in the past. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you you've uh, you've been to a lot of uh, conflict zones. Uh, we were talking earlier about your biography, and uh, you're very tough. And uh, you know, I was wondering uh, the situation is uh, for you now because obviously you're in Italy, and it's one of the worst uh, countries affected, um, and really, really are. I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone, our hearts go out to you. But in a way, um, Liana, do you think the work you've done, where you've been, what you've seen, uh, perhaps better prepared you for what you're going through right now? Yes, definitely. It has been very, very helpful because uh, I have seen so many difficult and uh, terrible situations that uh, I think I don't have to complain because after all, I mean, the situation, unfortunately, in Italy because of coronavirus pandemic is very, very tough. You know, Italy has been the most hit country and we have so many cases. I was listening to the news before talking to you and although the situation is now improving. We still had 525 deaths in these last 24 hours wow. and more than 3,700 new cases in 24 hours. So if you think, I mean, the amount of victims we have had, it is a very, very difficult and sad time for Italy. We are forced to be locked in our house. We can only go out to go to work. I work a little bit from home and a little bit from the Rai office, one week at home, one week in the office. We can only go out also only for buying food or medicines, but basically we are locked in the house. And this is very difficult for us in general, but for us Italians who are used to be very sociable people, it's springtime, so we are used to stay outside. Yeah. It is very difficult. And then you think about the people who are dying, relatives, friends, the elderly, we are losing an entire generation of old people, our grandparents. So it is a very sad and under psychological psychological point of view. It is not easy to stand. So I think, if I think to what I have been through when I was covering um, conflict zones, I think, well, this is not comparable. It's a different kind of sorrow, of problems. But definitely, since I, I am used to being in difficult zones with people who have grown up in wars, with bombings who have lost everything, houses, relatives, work, everything. I think that this is very helpful to me. I always think that there are people who always constantly live in very difficult situation. For us, it's a temporary. We hope it's gonna finish soon, above all, not only for the fact that we are locked, mm -hmm. this is the least problem, I mean, but for the people who are losing their lives. And remember, Michael, we are losing many, many uh, doctors, nurses, people working in the hospitals have been the most hit as well. Mm -hmm. So 
in general, it is very sad, but definitely the work I'm used to do is very helpful to me because I'm more resilient, more resistant, and under psychological point of view, this is really helping me. But in war zones, at least, Michael, to conclude this part, you know where is the danger. Here, mm -hmm. it is an invisible enemy. This virus is spreading so fast, you cannot predict, you cannot foresee anything. So it is an invisible enemy. That's why many, our colleagues, our journalists are using a war terminology. They often say, we often say, we are fighting a war against the virus, you know. It is, there is this kind of um, war terminology, yes, yes. war words. I think it is not appropriate, but in a way it is useful to give you an idea how difficult, the harsh time we are living. Wow, and um, what is the latest news, Liana, in terms of how long will the lockdown continue, for example, in Rome? Yeah, well, in Italy, you know, uh, at the beginning, uh, Italian government, the regional government of Lombardia, which is the northern region, which has been at the worst hit at all, uh, was the first region to lock down. Then the whole country was locked down. And now it seems that on the 3rd of May, we might be a slight opening, but not according to the different regions and where there are more victims. It's going to be an overall measure about the whole country. So we are likely to, to see something new starting from the 3rd of May. Mm -hmm. Our prime minister is going to talk maybe today or tomorrow just to give us the latest. On the 3rd of May, it is likely to have a, a new measures no more lockdown but this doesn't mean that life will go back as it was before it is impossible because as i told you before we still have too many cases the mm -hmm. situation is better but it is still serious so we are little by little uh, starting to we will go to open our um, factories maybe some shops some shops actually have already opened mm -hmm. this week bookshops and uh, mega shops which sell uh, baby children clothes because it is an accessory yes. and but all the rest the production is stopped we are having really serious economic problems so on the 3rd of may some production activities will start again, but we will have new rules, social distancing, when we go out, when we go to public places, when we enter shops, we will have to go little by little, keeping the distance between ourselves. And imagine, Michael, um, tourism in Italy, you know how important yes, yes. Is tourism. This season is going to be lost because nobody's going to come here, of course. And even for us Italian, it is difficult to, to go abroad. Many airplanes are stopped, you know, airlines do not work. We have a couple of flights, European flights or domestic flights, but it will be difficult to, to move around. So we will basically, those people who still will have the money to do some holiday, will spend them probably in Italy. But let's imagine a beach in Italy. I don't know if you have seen the pictures in the papers. It is likely to have something like glass boxes around the, the sun chairs, you know? My Just goodness, really. I mean, can you imagine that in restaurants, there will be glasses separating tables one from the others. Cinemas, theaters will be closed. 
you know, it's going to be very, very difficult. We know we will have to adjust to new measures. Our life will change. Our social life will be completely upset. Mm -hmm. But if this is necessary to save lives, to keep us safe, we will do it. I mean, we are proving to be very responsible. There are many controls, but people prove it. Italians are proving to be responsible. So of course, there are exceptions, people who are sure. infringing the rules like everywhere else. But generally speaking, we are really behaving in a very good way. And I'm glad because, I mean, it's not an easy time. Then we hope there will be also more tests in order to detect people who are symptomless which are the worst because you might have the virus, but you do not mm -hmm. know. You go around, you don't have symptoms, but you go around and you can infect everybody. So in um, public places, in big companies, we'll have to do the test. And there will also be some app for the mobile phone just to detect where places can be dangerous. You know, we mm -hmm. are, we, our government has appointed a task force which is studying together with the scientists, experts, how we will cope with this second stage that we will enter probably on the 3rd of May. Okay, well, and um, in a way, I, I think a lot of us feel that Italy, sadly, took the kind of pain for a lot of us. You were one of the first countries, well, the first country in Europe to be so badly hit. And um, there were a lot of messages or lessons learned that we could take here in North America because we were further down the track in terms of getting the virus. But what would your message be to people listening, especially in America? Because I asked this uh, yesterday, for example, there was, you might have seen on the news, the protest mm -hmm. in Michigan where people were saying, enough is enough, stop the lockdown, we want to go back to work, we want to go back to shopping. But what would you say to people who have, you know, are getting impatient with the lockdown mm -hmm. and want to go back to their normal life? Well, they have, we have to be very patient. Also in Italy, many people are complaining because being in a lockdown is very hard, not only for your personal social life, but also for the economy. I mean, we are going into a deep recession and the same is going to happen all over the world, including United States. And not only that, but in United States, you know, in November, they will vote for presidential elections. So, I mean, being locked down is very hard under many different points of view but it is necessary. It is the only way so far, the easiest way to confine, to limit the contagions. So mm -hmm. you have to be patient. It's not easy, but I mean, we could be worse. We have always to think that there are people who are forced to go out. Let's think about the doctors, the nurses sure. who are doing an amazing work and we are really grateful to them for their work. So they are forced to go out and it's them to ask us. I saw in Italy, there were many videos on the social media with the doctors and nurses telling us, please, we are working, but you, please stay at mm -hmm. home because mm -hmm. it is the... It is necessary, unfortunately, as far as we do not find a vaccine, it is necessary to stay at home. It is a, um, a little sacrifice, actually, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. we have to be patient. Yeah, and you know, you talked about some of the social measures that might be put into place in theaters, restaurants, on the beach, and any of us who have been to Italy or any of us who have Italian friends, we always, I, I think we regard Italians as very emotional people, very close, we hug, we kiss. And, uh, you know, throughout yeah. the Mediterranean, you have this. And I'm wondering, 
will that make it particularly difficult on you, given that that's kind of your way of life, your culture to be so close to people and, um, you know, the contact is very important. Yeah, it is. And it's so strange. I tell you something personal. I went back to my office uh, um, five days ago for the first time after one month I had been locked in my house working wow. from home. So when I went there and I met my colleagues, my friends, people with whom I have been working for 20 years, it was so strange to see ourselves with the masks, gloves, and all these sanitary protections, and to be distant and not being able to, to hug each other, to give a kiss, to shake our mm -hmm, hands. Mm -hmm. It was so strange to see our friends and keeping the distance, you know, to talk from a distance one meter and a half, two meters. And imagine with your closest friends, your family. I mean, my, I live in Rome, but I am originally from Palermo in Sicily and I haven't been there for one month. So I haven't seen my parents and my brothers for mm -hmm. one month. Imagine when I will be able to, when I am able to go back to Sicily, to Palermo, I really looking forward to hug my mother, my father, my, my relatives. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I will be able to do that, you know, because this, it is dangerous. So maybe we will be able to see our families to travel, but we will still have to keep the distance. And for us, Italian, we are very sociable. Whoever we meet, even people we do not know very mm -hmm. well, we hug them, yes. we shake their hands, we say hello with the two kisses. So, you know, it's going to be um, a change. And I see in the street every morning when I walk with my dog in the street near my house. I mean, when I walk the dog, usually uh, I meet lots of people. They stop me. They talk to me, they smile, they ask me about the dog. You know, you make lots of friends when you walk with a dog in the street. Now it is very strange. I walk the dog in the street of Rome. I meet people that just change their directions. Yeah. They don't even mm -hmm. look at you and I do the same. So, and I'm, I'm afraid, which is some, there is a something which is scaring me that we are getting used little by little even being unconscious about that, about keeping the distance and going away from people. I think it will not be easy to go back to normality. Yes, yes. Um, and as a journalist, um, you talked about going back to the studio and to work and seeing colleagues, but how, excuse me, how has it changed your work uh, in the short term in terms of, uh, you know, doing interviews, reporting, getting the story? How, how has it impacted you? Well, it has been, a, it is a strong impact, Michael, because I work as a foreign correspondent. This means that most of my work consists in traveling. I travel all over the world to yes. cover international news. Uh, I have been the last trip I made. I was in the United States to cover the first the primary elections. Then I went to Spain for an interview to a member of the government. Then I went to Brussels to cover oh. RAI Bureau in Brussels, covering European affairs when all the crises started in Italy. But now it's over. I cannot go anywhere. I cannot travel. So I have to do my work at home or in the office in Rome. 
doing interviews by Skype, doing my TV segments, editing with the new international news agencies mm -hmm. that fortunately give us all the footages that we need. So we edit from Reuters, Associated Press, we get the news, we get the coverage, and we edit, but it's not the same because I can write and edit a segment for TV about United mm -hmm. States being in Rome, but it's not the same, you know, better than me. You have to be in the place, you have to smell the situation, to touch things with your hands, to talk to people face to face. So we are adjusting to that, but it's completely different. And we cannot make any plans because we don't know when we are able to travel again. So in my work as a foreign correspondent, the impact is enormous. When I present the news, it is also different because we stay in a studio which is mm -hmm. practically empty. We cannot have a guestis, host guests in the studio. It's all by Skype or, or by remote, you know, there is a, just one cameraman and uh, nobody else in the studio, nobody around. Mm -hmm. It is very, very weird, actually. It is a big impact, but we are trying to do that. And there are also many colleagues of mine who are covering the news live from the uh, most difficult areas in Italy. Lombardia, Piemonte, mm -hmm. Emilia Romagna, the northern regions which are most hit and for them it is very difficult and risky because my colleagues who cover domestic affairs by now are in those areas, they are going to do interviews to relatives of the victims, to the hospitals, to the nursing homes where there have been many victims unfortunately, so they are constantly covered with the protection, keeping distances, it's difficult. But we are doing our best to inform people. This is our duty, actually. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, I know at least two people uh, in the media business uh, who have been struck very hard with the virus. They're very sick. And uh, our prayers with our, not only with journalists, but also all essential workers and frontline workers. Um, the other thing I, I was wondering about is, uh, uh, I mean, from even before the virus hit uh, Italy, we're all aware of the kind of structural problems Italy was going through uh, mm -hmm. economically, uh, things like that. Um, but do you feel that, um, you know, it, it, once the virus does uh, disappear, that Italy is on a relatively secure footing to deal with the economic hardships? You talked about the downturn in tourism and after all, it is part of the uh, European Union, uh, so it isn't alone in this. But uh, how do you see the future in that regard? Well, fortunately, we belong to the European Union, so many people complain because the European Union hasn't done that much so far. And even today, the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, apologized with yes. Italy. She said we should have done more and more quickly, but actually they are doing something. So I'm quite confident on the European Union. At least we share the same burden with France, Germany, Spain, which is worse hit than Italy now. And so so I think from European Union, sooner or later, they will find a way to help us and to help the other countries. As for Italy in itself, it is going to be very, very difficult and it's going to be a very long process before we recover because our economy is strongly hit. We were not in such a wonderful shape mm -hmm. before the coronavirus. And now you can imagine with the production completely stopped, for at least almost two months now, you can imagine the damage to Italy. I was mentioning tourism 
and which is going to be a great loss, but there is not only tourism, as of course. Mm -hmm. So all the production is stopped and we're going to pay a very high price. Lots of people lost their jobs because many activities, many production activities closed. So people lost their job. Some of them can get a compensation from the government. Others will not be able to get them. Temporary people, temporary workers will be the worst hit. Mm -hmm. So there will be a higher unemployment. There will be many costs that companies will have to, to take in order to adjust the production with the new measures. And the government, of course, has allocated a, a great amount of money to help us, to help companies, to help workers, to help families. There are many families who are relying on, um, in order to eat, to food banks, to humanitarian association. Even not people mm -hmm. who were poor before, but now they are in deep need and they eat, they can go on thanks to humanitarian associations. So it will be very long way, it will be difficult, but I'm confident sooner or later we will solve it. Let's hope the measures that are going to be taken will be good for us. And I really hope the country will be, can go back on track as soon as possible, but it will not be easy. On the other hand, Michael, I would like to tell you that we have seen in Italy a great solidarity. This is really a, a nice, a wonderful aspect of my country that I like. If you think about, I mean, we are famous all over the world because of fashion, you know, yes. the big fashion brands are Italians. You know how many fashion stylists have converted their productions. Instead of producing clothes, they are producing sanitary equipment like mm -hmm. masks, like the, the things that the doctors have to, to put when they work. Yes, I mean, yes. they are changing their production in order to cope with this situation. I, and they also gave big, big donations. And I think this is a, a good aspect. I mean, solidarity has been immense in Italy, but it is not sufficient. So our government mm -hmm. is allocating money, is allocating many funds and aids to families and companies. And um, it will not be easy. It will not be easy at all. We are going through very difficult and bad times. And um, I really hope we will get over from that. And I'm confident also on a European help. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, thank you for that wonderful analysis. Um, and going back to you, uh, Liana, you talked about walking your dog, but uh, <laughs> I, I know from uh, you know the times we've spoken, you're a foodie, you love to cook. I know that yes. many people <laughs> listening also are foodies. Uh, how, how have you been doing on that front? Uh, what has been kind of your go-to creation in the kitchen to keep you comfortable and happy? Well, you know, Michael, what is funny that Italians, we like um, food very much. I mean, yes. we are famous also for our cuisine. And it is not easy to go to do shopping for food because in the supermarket, you have to do these very, very long queues. And if you try to order your food with the apps on the internet, there are waiting lists which are so long. So getting the food and the ingredients is difficult. But Little by little, with a little bit of patience, we do it. And what is funny is that all Italians have found out that we are, we have all, all started to make bread 
and pizza. It is funny, we all bake our own bread and pizza, so it is impossible to find, to buy flour at the moment. Yeah. The shops ran out of flour because everybody's making, is baking bread and pizza at home. And me, myself, I had never baked bread, but I tried. I had a recipe from my boss and I tried it and it was quite good. Mm. And then the smell, which spreads in the house, makes you feel really comfortable, like at home with your family. And then, of course, even if I'm on my own in these days at home, I'm trying to cook the recipes which are typical from Sicily, where I come from. Just like, I don't know if you have ever been in Sicily, but uh, our food is very good. So I tried it to do something which is very good and simple, which is called uh, panelle, which is like a fritters made of um, um, chickpea flour. Wow. And you fry them and it is very good. It is a street food and it is a kind of comfort food, which is quite helpful in these days. Yes. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, I think that would be my next uh, kind of culinary uh, peak to scale is to make pizza. <laughs> yes, you have to do. Everybody's making pizza and bread. That's why we all make fun of ourselves. And we say, okay, maybe we will overcome this crisis, but who knows how we will be in shape. We will take so many kilos, you know, eating that much in the home. But you know, this is the least of the problems. What is important is that at the end of this crisis, we will be safe and, uh, and that we will try manage to rescue as many lives as possible. Then if we will be a bit fatter, it is not a problem. I mean, this is not <laughs> and important. That, that's a great upbeat note to end the conversation. And I also have to tell you, Liana, I mean, um, you know this very well, that there's an absolutely enormous Italian diaspora, including here in Canada. And yes. we feel that we're never far away from Italy. You know, we're only always almost just a few kilometers away from uh, Italian, Little Italy or the good Italian restaurants or Italian community centers, which we love to go to as well. So um, the kind of Italian heart and the Italian spirit is never far away. And I'm sure that in this time of need as well, your diaspora will be there for you too. Yes, yes, we know Italians are everywhere in the yes. world. Wherever I go, I meet Italians and Sicilians as well. And the Canada and Canada, there are so many Italians. So um, it's nice for us. You know, we have, me myself, I have friends all over the world. And at the beginning, in the first days of this pandemic, I was really impressed because the friends that I have all over the world sent me messages for solidarity. I mean, we are seeing, we are witnessing a strong solidarity solidarity from all over the world, from the Italian diaspora mm -hmm. above all, because I understand they feel this is still their home. So I can understand how sorry they feel. So yes, this yes. is for us, solidarity, it's um, very important in this moment. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Grazie mille so much. Grazie a te. For your time and uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you and your country and uh, we wish you well also in your work and uh, the world needs people like you to be back on the front line. So hopefully the travel and reporting uh, will continue soon. We hope to go back on track to work and travel around the world. And I uh, thank you very much, Michael, uh, for this invitation. It has been a great pleasure for me. Grazie. Grazie. <laughs>
Thank you very, very much to Liana for that uh, fascinating and heartfelt uh, conversation. And this brings us to the end of another episode of Global Impact. Thank you for uh, joining the show. Uh, I hope that um, all of you are staying safe and that remember, as I always say in my sign off, that we are in this together. We have to help each other. There is a bright light at the end of the tunnel. And um, I also wanted to remind you that journalists, too, um, are frontline essential workers. In fact, uh, on April 9th, uh, there was a special day to recognize the contribution of journalists. But remember, too, that they are under assault or being persecuted um, in many, many countries around the world, especially those countries that have strong men. In fact, uh, in um, Iraq, uh, just a few days ago, Reuters had their reporting license suspended and they were fined for reporting on coronavirus issues. And also, uh, just uh, a day or two ago, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe had to um, condemn death threats against Russian Novaya Gazeta journalist Elena Milosholina uh, for um, someone who's not very happy with her reporting. So take your time, take some time out to thank a journalist as well as all people on the front lines, whether it be cashier workers, the postmen, the people that deliver the food to your door. Stay safe. This is Michael Bosicu. I look forward to talking to you soon.